0: Good morning, Crosswalk. How are we doing? We good? Uh, It's great to be back together, uh, especially after the craziness of last week. Uh, You know, we had to call our, on Thursday morning of last week, we we called our service on Friday night because it just looked like it was gonna be too much and too crazy out there. And then I I felt bad about it. I hate canceling a service. Uh, And especially as our brother and sister churches were, staying open Saturday morning, and then I woke up Saturday morning to see many of them shutting down and closing and canceling. And it's interesting, if you TikTok or watch the short video clips and whatever, why was it Seattle that is home to all the bad drivers that decided to try to to go out? I don't know if you saw any of those. People going all over the place in Seattle. Stay home, people, when it's like that. Pity sakes, it's not worth it. Um, I don't know if any of you experienced power losses. Uh, We didn't have that at our house, but I knew tons of people that did. Also, anyone know of people that had been stranded by Southwest Airlines? Yeah? What craziness is that? I saw two people that had to drive to Southern California to be able to do it from here, from Portland. They were, so 16, 17 hours. Shayna, one of our members, she had to drive to get to Disneyland. Um, So just crazy. I know you could say, well, Disneyland, sure, but happy New Year's Eve. Uh, I don't know how many, how many, I'm curious, little poll, uh, you can choose to answer or not. How many are planning to stay up until midnight tonight to ring in the new year? Look at all of you people. Good for you. I will admit that when our children were born, the McCoys more often than not ring in the new year with our East Coast brothers and sisters. So we watched that ball drop right at 9 o'clock in real time so that by 10 o'clock in the holy hour, we're asleep. It's fantastic because we just learned as we got older that we like sleep more than we like n- not sleep. So anyway, but to each their own. If you have dogs, I'm sure tonight is not going to be fun. Um, that's usually how it goes in our house. The fireworks start going off and they're, they're over it. Uh, But for me, New Year's is an interesting holiday. I get very reflective. I start thinking about the past and reviewing the last 12 months. And I think about the, the things that worked, the things that went well. I think about the good things in life, how we've been blessed by this church. I mean, the music, the team, the band, amazing today. Um, And we get to listen to that kind of stuff every week here at Crosswalk. I got to watch this place grow and God do things that I never thought were possible with church. And I'm so excited to be a part of this movement. Of Crosswalk here in Portland and around the world. Um, So I think about that. I think about what I've learned. I think about um, all the good moments and good experiences uh, that I've had. And I think about the bad stuff. I think about the things that went wrong, the things that didn't go as planned, the things that I wish I could change or go back and do differently. And then I often find myself looking forward to the future, pondering what's going to be next. What's going to be different this next year? What can I change or what do I want to continue and do more of into the next year? So in a way, whatever, uh, well, I'll say many of us think about these things and we make New Year's resolutions, which I don't know if you still make New Year's resolutions, but they say that of the people that make them, only 18% actually keep them. Um, So whatever camp you're in, many of us do make positive changes in the first few weeks of the new year. We get gym memberships, or if we have one, we start going, um, you know, and, and we go to church more regularly as the new year goes in, we read things that are good for our hearts and souls, we try to make good and positive differences in our lives, but whatever camp you're in, as we watch the clock count down tonight, many of us will spend similar kinds of time thinking and reflecting about the past, present, and the future, as if in some way in our minds we're in, this, in all of those all at once, As human beings, we're a little obsessed with time. In the Western world, more than anywhere else, we try to control time. Uh, In fact, time management industry experts say that if we can manage our time better, then we would save the world trillions, the the global economy trillions. Um, And we've thought so much about time that we've invented a genre of literature and film about time travel. Now, this happened in the 1800s. There were two books that came out that got us thinking about time travel. One was what some of us watched over the last couple of weeks, A Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens' book, where you had the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. And then I just saw Megan look at me, and I forgot to tell the kids what the word is. The word is time, kiddos. So every time you hear me say the word time, mark that down. That's the word. Okay. All right. Back up. All right, Charles Dickens, Christmas Carol, Ghosts of Christmas, Past, Present, and Future, taking Ebenezer uh, Scrooge into those areas to change his present. Um, and then there was a, a, a movie, well, it was adapted into a movie in 1960, but in 1895, it was H.G. E. Wells' classic, A Time Machine. And in that book, you had a scientist go centuries into the future and then come back and tell some strange tales. This time travel literature and genre has continued to grow um, and there have been many adaptations of this over the years from uh, one from my high school years to high school seniors that traveled through time in a photo booth, uh, no a phone booth Bill and Ted's excellent adventure fine film great acting highly recommend that one Uh, Or Bill Murray, where he was stuck in a day for Groundhog's Day. Um, Or the superheroes that went back in time to save the universe in Avengers Endgame. Um, Or Christopher Nolan's Tenet. All sorts of films dealing with time travel. But all of these, well I should say some of these are good. But none of them come close to my personal favorite. Which includes a young, rebellious skateboard riding Rock and roll-playing teenager, and his eccentric scientist inventor friend, who invent a time machine—the coolest time machine ever invented—I think, a DeLorean. Am I right? Can I hear an amen for Marty McFly and Doc Brown in Back to the Future? That's right. It's the best one out there. Now, now, many of you uh, probably don't know this, and you're also not going to be surprised to hear it. But in my office. At home, I have what I call object metaphors. Um, some people call them trinkets or knickknacks. My wife calls them junk. Um, but uh, I have different things that are symbols to me that remind me uh, about things that are important to me to, to do. So I brought just three of them, um, and I'll share those with you. The first, one of my favorites, is uh, my own Olaf, which I showed this at PAA recently, um, But Olaf uh, sits on my desk. He actually makes noises. Um, Look at my nose. It's so cute. It's like a little baby unicorn. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So I have him. He sits in my office to remind me to not take myself or life too seriously. I know sometimes I actually need a reminder. Um, At my office in Walla Walla, he sat on the windowsill where the sun would set, and so his backside's a little baked. Um, But other than that, so I've got... I've got Olaf uh, there, and then I have more serious ones. It's not all, just fun and games. Um, I have this, which is the Ichthus fish. Uh, This was a symbol in the early church uh, for a couple of things. First of all, it's an acronym, and some people don't know that. Um, It means Jesus Christos, Teos, Julios, and Soter. So it's Father, um, Son, God, uh, Savior, and Spirit. So it's the triune God is what this represents. But it reminds me of the courage of the early church, who not only used this to show their allegiance to the Trinity, but it also showed their, uh, how they would protect each other. In times of persecution, one person would draw one half of the fish, and the other person, if they were a Christian, they would draw the other half of the fish, and they knew it was okay to talk to them. So that, it reminds me of the courage of the early church for their faith, what they were willing to do for the gospel. And then, of course, I have my very own DeLorean because it's awesome. Um, But also because it just reminds me of an important characteristic of God that impacts how I live my life today. And that's what I want to spend time with uh, you today. So um, to get at this, let me start off with an illustration that C.S. Lewis once used to talk about God in time. So C.S. Lewis, author, theologian, in his epic work, Mere Christianity, speaks about God and the concept of time, and he tells the readers to imagine a line drawn on a piece of paper and says that this line represents how we understand how time works. It's linear. There is a beginning and an end, and along the line are the events that happen in between. This is how we look at history and how we make sense of our lives. We were born on this date Graduated on this date. Got married on this date. Got the job we always wanted on this date. Retired on this date. Died on this date. We often uh, our tombstones. In fact, uh, we have two dates: our birth and our death. And then we have a little dash in between that really represents our life. And depending on how much time is uh, in between those dates, that dash can represent you know hours, days, years, decades of a life lived. But is this how God works linearly? Did God have a beginning like us? Will he have an end like us? We're told he is the alpha and the omega and the beginning and the end. But what does that mean? Does he know the future and have it all laid out? And if so, do we still have free will if God's already got it figured out? What difference does having some kind of answer to these questions make in our day-to-day lives in this present moment? Well, C.S. Lewis continued his illustration of the line on the paper by explaining it this way. He said, if you picture time as a straight line along which we have to travel, then you must picture God as the whole page on which the line is drawn. We come to the parts of the line one by one. We have to leave A behind before we get to B and cannot reach C until we leave behind B. God, from above or outside or all around, contains the whole line and sees it all. And God sees our line, experiences our time all at the same time. So here's a couple of scriptures that try to get at this idea. In the book of Revelation, We read the following, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And then again, a few verses later, he writes, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God, I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. John uses this language again in Revelation 4 to describe part of the vision that he saw in heaven. It says, In the center and around the throne were four living beings, day after day and night after night. They keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. God is the one who was and who is and who is still to come. And this statement or title for God refers to his eternal self-existent attributes. That last line, is still to come, is not a reference, like many have thought, to his second coming. You have to take the whole line in its entirety and realize that the line itself is recognizing that is referring to God's immutability, how he has always existed, exists now, and will always exist. The author of the book of Hebrews put it like this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this idea is not just found in the New Testament. When God gave Moses his name in Exodus 3.14, we translate it as Yahweh. And scholars argue about how it should really be translated. It's a confusing phrase, but it ultimately is timeless. It gets translated as, I am who I am or I will be what I will be, or even I exist now and have existed and always will exist. God even tells Moses in the next verse, this is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now, God did create time in the creation story. We have evening and morning, which was the first day. So God created time, and he works with us in time, but he is not constrained by time. Lewis goes on to explain, suppose God is outside and above the timeline. In that case, what we call tomorrow is visible to him in just the same way as what we call today. All the days are now for him. If this is true, then the God we serve is the God who was and is and is to come all at the same time. It would mean that he's in our past, he's here with us now, and he's already experiencing our future. Now, this is certainly a hard concept to grasp when you get into talking about these, and there's so much more we could say about it and go deeper. I remember having given a worship at Walla Walla University once where an engineering student came up to me afterwards, and he started to explain to me how he understood God and time. And he was one smart cookie, and he was saying all this stuff, in the first couple of minutes, I was following him along really well. I was getting it. I, I, was, I was locked in. And then he started talking about fifth and sixth dimensions and how they intertwine, interwork, and all this stuff. And then I knew I had a choice. I could either continue to nod and shake my head and give some nonverbal cues and pretend that I knew what he was talking about. Or B, I could admit that I'm simply not that smart um, and that, that I'm not going to follow his train of, of thought as much as he would probably like me to. And so I chose the latter. <laughs> I said, look, I, I, I'm going to tell you, I love that you're sharing this with me. It's so cool. It sounds amazing. But I'm just not super smart. And, and so, like, I'm not going to be able to follow. But I'm happy to listen to you. Which he seemed to appreciate my honesty. At least that's how I interpreted his eye rolling as he walked away. Um, <laughs> But I think there are a few implications we can grapple with about this concept of God in time if it's true. So if the God who was and is and is to come is all of these at the same time, it at least means the following. One, that right now God has got our past because he is in our past. Our past is a funny thing. It happened in the past, but some of us carry it around like it's our present. And for some of us, this is, this is good things, you know. We, we had the good old days back when things were just as they should be. Maybe it was high school and we were the SA president and we were on the varsity team. We had all these friends. Maybe it was the first time we fell in love and everything was so alive back then. Uh, maybe it was that first job we had always wanted that we're super excited to have. Whatever it is, when we hold on and idealize the past, it can keep us from living fully alive in this present moment. For others of us, our past has scarred us deeply, whether that was things that were done to us or things that we did. These are things that we carry around with us, and we have a hard time forgiving or forgetting or moving on. It's like we're, we're stuck in that past, and it's keeping us again from living fully alive lives now. To both of these scenarios, the God who, was, who has our past means that God is there in our past. And if we let him, if we can surrender our lives over to him, he will work in us towards our healing and forgiveness and reconciliation. He wants to help us learn from our past and move forward again. He wants to remind us that our best days with him are ahead of us, not behind us. He is the God of our past. King David struggled with his past. In Psalm 51, he wrote, My sin is ever before me. His sins were things that he had committed, but they were always coming up in his mind. He was thinking about them all the time, but he also believed that God could blot out all his transgressions and iniquities. God promised the Israelites through the prophet Jeremiah that a time was coming when he will remember their sin no more. And that time came through the sacrifice of God on the cross where the apostle Peter reflected, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. I love that line, to bring you safely home to God. The word for once for all time is the Greek word hapax, which means that Christ's death was universal, covering sins in the past in the present, and in the future. Or as Paul put it, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. So whatever our past, we have to trust that God has it. With his help, we can confess our sins, we can seek forgiveness, whether that's for ourselves or for someone else, and we can learn to heal knowing that with God, the best is yet to come. So, if the God who was and is and is to come is all of these at the same time, it means he has our past, but it also means God has got our future because he is in our future. Now, many of us know what it is to be robbed of our present because we worry about the future. I do this all the time. We worry so much about what could happen, things that may never happen, that we don't live to our fullest in the here and now. Jesus spoke to this in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Who among you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Man, that's a line I I go to often. Who of you by worrying? can add a single hour to your life, because what actually happens is the opposite, right? When you worry, it steals time away from you, right? His advice was this, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. How is God able to say don't worry about tomorrow? Because he's already in tomorrow. He's got it. Because God is in your future, he's able to say, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And when God says through the psalmist David, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. This does not mean that our future is predestined and that we don't have free will. What this means is that God knows our future because to him, our future is already now. Clear as mud. But the knowledge that God is in our future doesn't mean that our future will be easy. It just means that we don't have to worry about it. God will be with us in our future as much as he is in our present and in our past. We tend to think this way when we think about those who have died. In our faith tribe, in the Adventist faith tribe, we don't believe that When a person dies, they immediately go to a heaven or a hell or a purgatory or whatever else. We think that they go to sleep and that they rest. Ecclesiastes 9 actually says that the dead don't know anything. So they're resting until Christ comes and we hear the trumpet blast and the dead in Christ raised first is what the scripture tells us. Um, And for the person that dies, if they don't know anything, then as far as they know, From after their last beat of their hearts, when they close their eyes for the last time, the next thing they're going to know instantaneously is they open their eyes and there's Jesus coming in the clouds. But to us, that event hasn't happened yet. So to the person that dies, it's instant. But to us, we're waiting for that moment to happen. So with that understanding, in one way, the moment that God has been waiting thousands of years for has already happened him. That moment is told to us in Revelation 21. It's one of my favorite passages. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. We haven't experienced this moment yet. But if God is in the future as much as in the past, then maybe he's experienced it a thousand times before. Maybe it's what helps him get through the difficult times when we are ripping each other apart and creating all sorts of evil. Maybe it's what allows him to be continually present in our most painful moments because he knows how good it's going to be when we're finally reunited with him and with our loved ones. Which leads to our final implication of God being the God who was and is and is to come all at the same time. It means he has our past, he's got our future, and that God has our present because he is fully present with us now. So many passages affirm this, but here are just a few. I will never leave you or forsake you. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you, God is in this moment, here, now, with us. And because God is infinite, he is infinitely with each and every single one of us, wherever we are and whatever we're doing. It means that he is as much with me right now as he is with you, as he is with my friend in Australia. This is what we call omnipresence. As Lewis put it in his book, Christianity*, he said, God has infinite attention to spare for each one of us, He does not have to deal with us in the mass. You are as much alone with him as if you were the only one being he had ever created. When Christ died, he died for you individually just as much as if you had been the only person in the world. Our God is present with us like no other person is present with us every tear we shed, every laugh we share, every intimate moment in life, even those times when we think we are utterly alone, God is with us. You may not feel it, but it doesn't make it any less true. He is fully present with every single one of us at the same time. And when we doubt this presence, we need only to silence the noise around us and learn to be still, because when we are still, We remember that he is God. And as he is fully present with us, the best gift we can give to others, especially those in need, is sharing his presence with us by being present with others. A shoulder to cry on, an ear to listen, a word of affirmation and encouragement. I want to end uh, the teaching time today by giving you a, a phrase to remember this truth and hopefully boil down all the complexity into one, into a few simple words. As you spend this holiday looking over the course of your life, your past, your present, and your future, whatever you've gone through, whatever you're going through, whatever is to come, that you could find comfort in knowing that God is in all these places at once. And when you worry and struggle, you can remind yourself God's got this. God's got this. We can confidently say God's got this because all throughout Scripture, we are told that God's got this because God's got you. He's got you. He's the God of our past, present, and future. All he asks is that you trust in him trust in him with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength trust him with your past trust him with your future both of which allows you to be more fully present in this moment trusting him all the more the following hymn is my go-to him for this thought to remember this truth God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble he says be still and know that I am God The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So Crosswalk, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever the struggle and the current journey is bringing or whatever you may be worried about happening tomorrow or the next day, please remember, God's got this because God's got you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being the God of our past, our present, and our future. For being so infinitely with us, intimately with us, that you give us courage, you give us hope, and we don't have to worry. Because worry steals time away from us. And you came to this earth and you died to give us life and give it abundantly. And so help us trust you with our whole lives, past, present, and future. Help us celebrate and look forward to all that you're going to do in us and through us. I know, God, you have incredible plans for this church, things that we wouldn't believe even if you told us. Help us keep on track with you, trusting you every step of the way until that blessed day when we get to see your face and we get to sing along with the angels, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was who is, and who is to come. In the precious and holy and powerful, resurrected name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, I pray these things. Amen.